When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks. So before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we'd first like to implore you to please take a moment to subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, and also to please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Over the last six months or so, I have very closely teetered towards massively scaling back the show or folding it entirely into becoming more of a once a month sort of venture or a whenever we all have time sort of venture due simply to my personal career obligations and me needing to focus more of my time and energy towards my outside writing ventures because for the most part this is a one-man show. Tommy and Alan come on to co-host but I do all the marketing, I do all the editing, I do all the planning, etc, etc. But yeah, despite heavily thinking about scaling the show back, out of my love for content creation and out of all of our love-hate relationship with the Lakers this season, we have somehow managed to push through and continue producing this show at a weekly episode's pace, sometimes two episodes a week. But at the end of the day, we run on your guys' feedback and support. So if you guys would be so kind as to please, if it's within your means, to please throw us a five-star tap on the Apple Podcast app. That'll go a long way in sustaining the show and ensuring its consistency to keep your ears litty and light, whatever the hell that means. Anyways, thanks for your support, and now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where time is up, folks. And this is where the rubber meets the load. That's what she said. And hey. unfortunately for LeBron James, that load has been way too much to handle. That's also what she said. And now that load maybe needs to be managed. You have to get us some sponsorships with this, team. <laughs> we should. But again, now that load may need to be managed. And all because the front office, Tommy, decided to take the load, I mean, road less traveled this offseason for very misguided reasons with some very interesting choices and experiment gambles that has led to where we are now. Well, 
I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And Tommy, this season, it's amazing. You, We finally get a dominant-looking AD back. We finally get an emphatic, objectively good, let Russ be Russ, staple Brody game. And then MVP candidate LeBron James having like one of the most efficient shooting stretches and most prolific stretches from a points perspective in his career. MVP candidate LeBron James goes down with an ambiguous knee injury that will likely need to be monitored for the rest of this season. So just as you get certain things maybe clicking, another thing happens, right? So this is the season of if it's not one thing, it's another. So Tommy, my opening question to you, it's going to be an icebreaker question that I think will make up the entire episode, but in line with LeBron's injury, not to make light of it, but is it time, Tommy, to bend the knee as a team for the season? I.e., is it time to wave the white flag or even pivot slightly, even if we don't have a draft pick to tank for this season? Your quick thoughts on, I guess, everything. I guess my very quick thoughts are there's a way to sort of accomplish two goals at once. Okay. You can go out there and put out a team that's, you know, going to be competitive most nights or whatever. And you can also start accepting and you don't even have to blame it on like, you know, the talent or your decisions didn't work out the well, you know, as well as everybody thought the synergies didn't really click the way that you kind of expected they were supposed to. And you can literally just blame it on injuries. But then at that point, you have to still say, and I think you could say this with a straight face, you have LeBron James under contract for, what, two more years? You have AD under contract for three more years, um, guaranteed. So, like, maybe you just you just kind of acknowledge it's unlikely due to injuries we were going to make any noise this year, but we still have more time with this group. So let's pivot and start, uh, sort of think about what can help us next year. You're right that unfortunately we, <laughs> I guess, unfortunately we can't tank and maybe try to get a high draft pick that we could use to sort of turn this around more quickly, whether by keeping the player or trading it, you know, for a veteran or something. But I think, we can. There are creative moves that can be made, sort of on the fringes of this group, to try to help us compete a little bit better this year, and to potentially help us next year. <clears throat> and I'm personally of the camp that it's not too late to cut, you know, cut it loose on on Westbrook and see oh. what you can get for him, as opposed to, you know, sort of waiting to see what you could get for him as an expiring contract. Interesting. Okay, I want to land on that point uh, again and ask you more about. Okay, so. You attack that question, I, f- I think, very diplomatically and with a with a rational uh, face on, which is great. But from a fan perspective, have you personally sort of waved the white flag and bent the knee in terms of like, this season is just a lost cause, in my opinion, and we just need to roll with it and take the punches. And especially in light of, and let's stick on this point, LeBron James injury, it at best is ambiguous. And Honestly, I don't know where this takes us. I don't know if we... At this point, I think we shouldn't be pushing for anything anymore for LeBron's sake. I know that sounds counterintuitive because some people are like, wait, so we're just going to waste another year of LeBron's prime and waste his closing window? In my perspective, Tommy, we wasted that the moment we did the Russell Westbrook trade experiment. You, you, you can blame it on whoever you want. LeBron pushing for it, Rob Palenka pulling the trigger, whatever. But I felt like we kind of made our bed with that, and it's a wasted season regardless. And injuries, et cetera, ex- whatever excuses we have that are legitimate, 
the it all boils down to LeBron James had to carry an immense load, and people thought that he looked amazing, but lo and behold, underneath the surface, oh yeah, this 37-year-old man, as good as he's playing, and as it's at times he's making it look so easy, but when he's playing point center LeBron James, that's going to take a toll on you, and it has apparently with an injury that we couldn't have foreseen coming because... And that's just what happens to old people, Tommy. Like, sometimes it just doesn't make sense and you have, like, a stress on your knee and all of a sudden we just have to continue to monitor this going forward because we didn't have the requisite pieces that maybe we thought we had in the offseason to help actually carry the load because LeBron James playing 37 minutes every night and averaging 30 points just for us to eke out six points. I'm sorry, I don't think that was part of the plan. You know, so with that in mind, as a fan, are you just like, you know what, I've come to peace with this. I'm resigned to the fact that I don't even think we're going to be a competitive team. And personally, for me, Tommy, I don't think we should be pushing for anything. I know that sounds blasphemous as the Lakers organization. But again, for LeBron James sake and his health and longevity. And look, maybe this injury isn't serious at all. And he rebounds after the all-star break and he just needs to rest a little bit. But if it's not, and this is an ongoing thing, because if you look at his tenure with the Lakers, the only time he was really healthy was because he had like a three-month break due to the pandemic, right? And came back and dominated the bubble, etc. But if you look at the scope of his Lakers career, he has not been healthy. And so for the sake of LeBron, I would like to actually not push for anything this season and just reset things and focus on next season. I know again, I know that sound I know that sounds like we're wasting this season, but in my opinion it's already sunk cost. We wasted the season already and at this point pushing for competitiveness at least blatantly and outright, I think you should still push for that internally obviously, especially for all the players. But in terms of like a macro team goal and like, you know, shipping THT for Robert Covington and all these moves that make it seem like we're going to really push for this LeBron, I don't want to put that burden on LeBron James anymore. I don't want to put it on any of the other guys and at this point it's just like I think that's only going to do more harm and more damage than anything because again, this is shaping up to be like the 2012-13 sort of Kobe season where, thank God LeBron isn't like tearing his Achilles here, but this is sort of like a warning cautionary sign to that. And so for me, it's like, don't push for home court advantage anymore or to get out of the play. And honestly, just be happy if we're somehow still in the 8, 9, 10 seed by the end of this. And we just have to hope that there's a silver lining, catch lightning in a bottle. We somehow drum up a momentum, but I don't think any of that should be because we're 100% pushing LeBron to come back and be his prime self or pushing this team to be the best version it can be by making these crazy moves. But where do you land on all that? <laughs> that was a lot, but I, you know, I think, I mean, it, I think you really summarized how a lot of fans feel. I mean, we've been talking all season about how in many ways LeBron's run this year has sort of felt like the 2011 or excuse me, 2012-2013 Kobe season with, uh, you know, Mike Mike Brown was fired in the beginning and the, they had the big four or whatever and it didn't really, it never really worked out that year. After 50 games, that team was 23 and 27. And then Kobe went like completely turbo mode and, and just, you know, we all remember how that season ended and the Lakers went 22 and 10 and Kobe literally carried them on his back to the playoffs. Um in a much more competitive West back then, uh, and with no plan. <laughs> and, you know, we saw how that took a toll on Kobe's body and it ended his season and on, frankly, the productive years of his career. Mm -hmm. So 
the nice thing I will say about LeBron, just just to you know pull back, because I think you're you're not you're making a point that I think is very valid. But the nice thing about LeBron is I think he is much better. He's not maybe so hyper focused and you know on the moment and winning in the moment maybe as much as as other players are. I think he's always been willing to take like a big picture approach to things. And well, that's where the term load management came from, right? Ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know he can he won't put himself in a dangerous position to mortgage his future and the team's future. Um, so you can kind of fall back on that. And then I think, so to your point, right, it's like n- nobody's saying like sit LeBron. For, we we don't have a draft pick. If we had a draft pick, I'd be like, yeah, sit them all. You know what I mean? But it's like, <laughs> we don't have a draft pick. There's no reason for us to tank. But I think there is a reason for us to be like, we're playing LeBron 30 minutes, 30 to 32 minutes. We're not playing him a minute more than that. It doesn't matter what, whether the outcome of the, he's literally on a hard minutes cap. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if the game is dependent on it, whatever. We're, we're going to the playoffs or we're not going to the playoffs with that model. I think you can do something like that and still, you know, keep LeBron. If he once if he comes back from this knee injury, you know, hopefully healthy, keep him like integrated and keep all the guys integrated, but, you know, kind of with the mindset of we're not going to kill ourselves to go Mm -hmm. get swept in the first round by Phoenix, you know? Yeah, I agree. So essentially what you're saying is kind of trying to straddle both lines to the best, to the best of your ability while also kind of having your come to Jesus moment of, yo, this season is just shot. This season just ain't it. Maybe a miracle happens, but who's grasping at miracles at this point. And for me, kind of, I think you're trying to get at this. I think we need to mentally start to prepare for the off season, come into this off season with a clear yeah. head because right now we are a freaking mess on all fronts, coaching, you know, the organization at the top, Jerry West, <laughs> all this stuff going on. We just need to start planning for the off season and come in with a more united front. I know we don't have any cap space or money to spend to lure even a free agent, but just for the sake of having somewhat of a clean reset, and a clear mind heading into the offseason. We need to start that process now. Not any of this like muddled Tommy. It's insane to me that more than half the way through the season, we are just now like Frank Vogel's just experimenting with like going small all the way. It's like <laughs> it's like what have we been doing? Like we had the whole summer in offseason, like a legitimate offseason off and like it's it's crazy that we're still in this muddled like are we playing big? Are we going full small ball? Is Russ a high-level role player or is Russ still a big three guy? What are we doing? Like, like all that needs to start being cleaned up now, in my opinion, uh, yeah. for the sake of the offseason and next season. I don't know if that means trying to move off Russ, even if you really can't, or just like internally starting to, you know, clean up the cobwebs wherever you may find them as an organization, figure out what you want to do with Vogel. I'm sure they're doing that now, but I'm just reiterating. I hope that's what they're doing, right? So anything to say on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they are thinking about that kind of long-term stuff too. I just, it's so hard. And I feel like this front office, when they first took over, and it seemed like it was such a big upgrade from like the Jim Buss era, right? And, and, you know, they were pretty transparent and they were constantly giving, you know, press conferences and interviews about like what their mindset was. Granted, we were at a different time in the, you know, we were sort of a rebuilding team when they very first took over. Um, so some of the moves they made were, you know, easy and kind of obvious, but even last year, I mean, like, I feel like Rob has been a lot more open about like what they're kind of looking for, what, what they think are like the, 
shortcomings of the team or, you know, how the, you know, it's always obviously done with this positive mindset, but I, I just feel like that transparency is just totally lost on mm-hmm. the season, certainly. And I think it's because there are people who are probably embarrassed about how much that, you know, we ended up giving up for this, this situation that hasn't really worked out. Um, we can, of course, point to the injuries, you know, but I, I can't remember if you mentioned this just now or if you mentioned it to me before, but like, you know, there's 30, LeBron's played 36 games, 80's played 30 games, Russell's played 51. So we've had two stars in every game this year because of, you know, Russ being around and LeBron and AD haven't like missed, I don't think, I think maybe less than five games they've missed together, right? So there's always been two and it still looked horrible. And I just think there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of cobwebs that need to be cleaned up. And uh, I think the process starts now. And I think, you know, part of that is maybe admitting that we tried this, it was, it failed. You know what I mean? And and owning up to that and just being like, okay, so what's the best way we can, we can get ourselves in a position to not totally waste LeBron's like last two years, right? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I... So I had this kind of uh, Twitter exchange with Laker Film Room, Pete, who we love. Obviously, he's been on the show countless times. And I guess Darius from Forum Blue and Gold early in the season, like maybe early November, right? And I just posed the question back then, like, hey, I don't really like the team's vibe right now. And Mm -hmm. I think there's something wrong with, one, the players themselves and their motivations. Two, how we're being coached. And three, just the way this roster was constructed, right? And I brought that up very early on to them and asked, what do you guys think about seeing teams like the Philadelphia 76ers, who at times are playing competitive basketball still without Joel Embiid, without Ben Simmons, without Tobias Harris, or the Clippers, who have not had Kawhi all year. Paul George has been out for half the year. You know, like they have guys going in and out as well. And back then... And back then, it was also like a credible argument. They, you know, Pete and Darius kind of brought up the points that, well, those teams have better continuity than the Lakers. The Lakers are older, and so they don't have the legs to kind of do what those teams are doing, night in, night out, even even with like no stars or whatever. Um, and so back then, I was like, okay, that that makes sense. I'm willing to give those things the ben- those argument points the benefit of the doubt. But as the season has continued to unravel, Tommy, I'm just like, I don't know. I think I was right back then in terms of my hunch that something, things are off on every level (laughs) from the organizational level, the coaching level, and the players and their expectations for their own game, their expectations of their role on this team, how they're being deployed, et cetera, et cetera. And they're now just all unfortunately coming to fruition because, Tommy, all those things have held fast and true. The Lakers, even with two of their big three on the court at all times can barely win against sub 500 teams. Meanwhile, the Clippers continue. The Clippers are starting Amir Coffey and Brandon Boston Jr. What continuity do they have, Tommy? They're just being coached better. Their players are being utilized better. They have a more united front. Same with the Sixers. Joel Embiid goes out. Andre Drummond comes in. They're starting dudes like Furkan Korkmaz or whatever. Like, (laughs) Like, dude... There's something wrong with us, and um, um, until we look ourselves in the mirror and realize all those things from every aspect of this organization, like no change is going to happen. Yeah, no, I mean you're you're making all valid points, and I think that's the big fear for me is 
process management moving forward. You know, there's like the way that they, there have been a lot of things that have been a little bit disturbing with respect to, you know, kind of get you a little nervous about how things are going to go in the future. It'd be one thing, right? And you can always point to injuries. And of course, injuries were the, a big reason why we've, we've struggled this year, but It'd be one thing if it was literally just injuries, like LeBron's out the whole season, AD's out the whole season. It was just, good. but there's so many other factors. I mean, you mentioned countless other teams that have been playing with stars out. I mean, the Nuggets have been playing with Jokic and a team of G leaguers. Okay, I, I won't disrespect Aaron Gordon too much, but like, <laughs> you know, offensively, not a lot of guys who jump off the page as somebody who could do something helpful for you. You know what I mean? And and they are fourth, fifth, or you know, competing for fourth at this point seed in the West with just Jokic, you know, Michael Porter Jr. out for the season. Jamal Murray hasn't played. I don't even know if he's supposed to come back this season um, at this point, you know, but they are competing. The Clippers, the Clippers went into the season knowing Kawhi Leonard because he tore his ACL in the playoffs last year was like unlikely to come back this year unless, you know, I don't know if the Clippers were some miraculously top four or something and quiet, you know, there was an opportunity point is they basically went into the off season knowing that Kawhi was probably not going to play. And on top of that, like you mentioned, Paul George has missed half the year. Marcus Morris senior has missed half the year. You know, the only guys who have played consistently for them are like Eric Bledsoe and like Reggie Jackson, yeah. <laughs> who's like not bad, but he's like, not, if you look at his stats, he's not like playoff Reggie from last year. You know well, what I mean? He's so, not LeBron James, Anthony Davis, exactly, or Russell exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and the Clippers, you could just point to like all the moves they did, like, Frankly, moves that I mocked in the past, like the Luke Kennard deal, that ended up being a great deal for them. He's super efficient off the bench. Um, You know, maybe they still slight overpay, but whatever. He's he's not getting paid $30 million a year. You know, if it's an overpay, it's an overpay by a couple million, and you can make that work out in a trade, right? So Terrence Mann, they've developed with it, you know, in-house and has been great for them. Um, Zubats, who they got for, for, you know, from us for free, basically, has been great for them. And they knew that they were going to uh, be without Kawhi, and maybe this was a season to kind of focus on some bringing up some young guys. So they spent on second round picks this year, and they had like multiple picks this year that they used. They brought a bunch of guys into camp. Unfortunately, several of you know some of those guys got hurt uh, early in the season, but they've been doing things right from a process standpoint, mm-hmm. and we just have not. You know, you think about like. Okay, so what's the best case scenario outcome if we stand pat this year? It's like we go into the off season with the same big three. We still don't have money to sign anybody else. We're going to be like in luxury tax hell. We're we don't even know if like none is going to opt into his contract. You know, we we're probably going to lose all of our other free agents. Certainly, guys who are huge for us like Malik and. This seems like a wasted year for THT's development, you know, on and on. It's like a wasted year for THT's development. It's just like, what is the plan for the future? And so I think that's the scariest thing is, is looking towards the future. Um, And so I, it's like, I want to concede this year, but I don't know what that necessarily does. You know, we're kind of in the situation we're in at this point. Right. You still need to be intentional about how you move forward. With that said, let's take it to break. When we return, let's talk about Westbrook and whether there's any glimmers of hope with his recent play and in light, especially in light of LeBron's recent injury. And then we'll close it out by talking about something positive, and that's Anthony Davis and how he's looked coming back from injury. So uh, we will catch you guys after the turn. 
All right, Tommy, so let's talk about Russell Westbrook because uh, we always have to talk about Russell Westbrook. There's one thing that I'm a little confused about with regards to how we continue to, I don't know, move, move the goalposts on, on the Russell Westbrook narrative. So maybe you can kind of illuminate this part for me. So all the, throughout this year, I've heard from, from other people that, you know, the expectations for Westbrook should never have been that he's like the second guy. Or, or maybe even the third guy, right? And some of us have even come to the conclusion that like, all right, well, maybe he's just a high-level role player. That's fine if he can accept that and, and the coaching staff can sort of rein him in. And we've seen moments where he's able to control his game for the betterment of the team. And the less you notice Russell Westbrook, especially in the closing, the better things are, right? So if if we all understand that... Sorry, <laughs> why are you laughing? It's just, so, it's just so sad, but go ahead. Okay, so, okay, under that premise, if we understand that, okay, Russ Westbrook's no longer a superstar, then when Anthony Davis returned and LeBron James was there for one game, what's the, con- I don't get the continued fast fascination with like, oh man, AD, LBJ, and Westbrook. They haven't played more than 16 and 17 games. And once we get all of them together, as long as they're all healthy, we'll finally get to see something. If we have already kind of come to the conclusion that he is not a superstar, he's not even part of a big three, I'm just confused at why we la- we can- some people continue to latch on to the fact that, well, then just wait till the big three come together. Because for me, while, Westbrook's- while Westbrook has an insane motor and brings a unique speed and physicality that is unmatched uh, throughout the NBA, much less this roster, I think at this point, I'm st- I still go back to the question, why are we so concerned with seeing if high-level role-player Westbrook works with LBJ and AD and not kind of spread around that focus to, let's say, LBJ, AD, and Monk? How do those three look together? Because I feel like the more we continue to focus on how does Westbrook fit in with, the, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the more we'll continue to lose sight, I feel like, of just making this team better in whatever way possible. I don't know if that makes sense to you because for me, it's like, yeah, when AD comes back, he's going to make everybody better, not just Westbrook. Like, I I just want to get away from the thinking, especially because it feels like in some aspects, we've gotten away from the thinking that Russell Westbrook is a superstar, but sometimes we get pulled back in when thinking about, wait, 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 wait. But I think this can still work when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy. At this point, this late into the season, I'm like, screw that. If he works out with both of them, that's great. I'm more focused on, yo, maybe Monk kind of works better as a three-man group with those three than Westbrook does. Or how about Reeves with Anthony Davis and LeBron James as his trio? I, I just feel like for me, we need to wean ourselves off from, fully wean ourselves off, off from that notion of continuing, again, to do the mental gymnastics and continuing to accommodate Russell Westbrook at this point. What about you? I don't disagree with you. And I, I think the bigger fear is not just, you know, doing the mental gymnastics, but when the moves are actually made to like double down on a potential mistake, that's when I'll start to get mm-hmm. concerned. You know what I mean? If you've been following any Laker, <laughs> any Laker dark web trade rumor, or, you know, fan discussion type of stuff, you've probably seen very vague rumors about how, oh, the Lakers were pursuing Scotty Brooks this past off season oh. to join Vogel staff and, you know, be one of his assistants. And I guess he got a be- slightly better opportunity with Portland. So he's there now, but if the Lakers fire Vogel, it probably wouldn't be for Fisdale. It, they might look to somebody like Scotty Brooks, for example, um, to be the head coach. And I, I know Westbrook had a lot of success with Scotty Brooks, but it, 
and I'm not suggesting that that is the only reason um, that we would go after a guy like Scotty Brooks, but it just sort of makes you feel like that is, mm-hmm. you know, is at least a factor when, to your point, it really shouldn't be a factor in any decisions. I think, like you said, if the goal is to win a championship, and I feel like even when we first did the Westbrook trade, Westbrook trade, as optimistic as we were trying to be, we said the only way this is really going to work is if Westbrook really just accepts whatever they tell he he is told to do, and if he comes in with an open mindset of, I don't have to get 30-point triple-doubles every night anymore, actually. I don't have to play 37 minutes a game. I can really just be a superstar, like, in a role. Yeah, and when the situation calls for it, like the game against, what was it, Charlotte? He steps up and can channel the Russell. Exactly. Let Russ exactly. Be Russ game, right? And in so. other games, you know, maybe matchups or whatever game flow reasons dictate that you need to be sitting on the bench the last five minutes yeah. of the game or three minutes of the game. Like you take that and and you accept it. And anyway, it's just like <laughs> it it it. I agree with you. It it hasn't worked out on our end, and I just feel like we shouldn't be doubling down at this point. Yeah. So I mean it. I understand why we continue to cling on to hope because I mean we're we're kind of we're for all in, intents and purposes stuck yeah, in this situation. Options, yeah. <laughs> right. But my question of like, does the best version of this team involve us trying to crack the Russell Westbrook code and making sure he's optimized and accommodated, Tommy? Or is it time to shift? Because we've seen literal teams try and do this, trading away Clint Capella for Robert Covington just to make the Russell Westbrook fit work, you know? And I don't know, maybe it will work, maybe. But at this point, this late into the season, I think we just need to rejigger our focus. Um, But with that said, to close this episode then, oh, okay, here. Uh, Why don't you, (laughs) so sad. I'm like, we need to reserve some time to say more good things about Russell Westbrook because, okay, objectively, he played his best game as a Laker in that Charlotte game, right? So what can you take away from that game? And do you think that in LeBron James' absence or stead that maybe unleashing that type of Westbrook in tandem with keeping Anthony Davis as the focus, maybe that should help us finally tread some water or stem the tide? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the reason it's all meaningless to me, right. Is because again, coming into this season, we know that Russell Westbrook can, if he's a high usage player, can put up stats. He's done it. It's not like he's been doing it. Yeah. Like people say like, Oh, it was just OKC. That was a playoff team still, dude. And like the West was competitive and like, you know, post KD years in OKC with Houston, with Washington last year. He's done it in competitive situations on playoff teams. We know he can do that. The problem is he can't do that as a third option. He can't do that if he's not being asked to have high usage but uses energy on other stuff because when he doesn't get the volume on offense, it doesn't give him enough utility on the court overall when you factor in both ends to counteract how bad his defense is. I don't I don't know if that made sense exactly what I said, no, but I guess, yeah, what I'm trying to say is like for him to counteract his defense, he needs to have he needs to be putting up the crazy stats. And when his when he's on the floor and his usage isn't high, he's not putting up the stats, but he's still not playing defense. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just yeah, it's too much. But if LeBron James gonna, is it's, but it's not, and so that's why I'm saying I don't think it works when LeBron James comes back because LeBron requires high usage too and is better. So he should have the high usage. But in the meantime, 
does it work or would you rather just, hey, let's go all in on AD and even Monk before Westbrook or just try to find a balance there to try and win some games? I don't know. I don't know that doing any of those other things is, you know, necessarily gives you a better chance to win games, though, is the problem. I still think, like, yeah, AD and Russ is your best chance, but it's not good enough, and it, it doesn't make me feel good about what could come. I guess this is my overall feeling on this yeah, situation. Yeah, so I, I think in terms of treading water, and this is like a big if, right? In terms of treading water, if Russell Westbrook can is, you know, rounding into a space where he's able to better balance when to unleash let Russ be Russ and then also take everything he's learned and struggled and wrestled through this season of learning when to pull back if we can get the best fully realized version of that while LeBron James is out we may be able to eke out some games but I still think that shouldn't be done over let's say trying to get Malik Monk going you know I think we saw it in the in the game against the Atlanta Hawks like they gave him a lot of ball handling responsibilities and put him in a lot of pick and rolls with Anthony Davis. So if that takes away usage from Russell Westbrook, is Russell Westbrook still going to be okay? You know, those are my questions. And I think the coaching staff, I think Russell Westbrook, uh, they all need to, especially in this time without LeBron James, find a good balance of how to make all of this stuff work. If Even if Russell Westbrook has to take a back seat, which he kind of did in stretches against the Atlanta Hawks and actually intentionally gave the ball up to Malik Monk so that he could run high pick and roll with Anthony Davis. Is Russell Westbrook going to be able to flip the switch on and off between being aggressive Russ and being in control Russ, et cetera, et cetera. It'll be an interesting thing to follow, but I don't take anything away from the game he had against Charlotte because, you know, that was an objectively great game that unfortunately was so on brand because it ended with a Russell Westbrook heroic, you know, three point shot attempt. Uh, But at the end of the day, let's close this episode, Tommy, with something a little bit, I guess, more positive, and that's Anthony Davis. So what have your thoughts been on his return? Because, you know, even even the first game back without putting up the gaudy offensive stats, he came in with the gaudy defensive plays, the four blocks, yep. the two steals, like recovering from the perimeter into the paint. He looked spry and agile and flexible. And then the Joel Embiid game where he took it to Embiid on both sides of the court, 31 points, 12 rebounds, two steals, four blocks, uh, 27 points against the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, he clearly lost some weight. He's slimmed down. He's moving well. If there's anything to cling on to in terms of a silver lining and a glimpse of hope heading into the offseason, it's that, oh, yeah, I forgot how good Anthony Davis is when he's, like, remotely healthy and he's engaged and motivated and being used right, like, those are the biggest things I take away because, and, and we also forget too, in this time without LeBron James, which we've seen this time without LeBron James during the, you know, the start of the season when Anthony Davis sort of had to carry the load on both ends. Um, but when Anthony Davis is utilized correctly, i.e. the focal point, and he's fed the ball, like it's it's crazy. It's easy to remember that the dude was averaging 28 points in back-to-back seasons with the New Orleans Pelicans in the regular season, right? So it's not totally out of the realm of possibility for Anthony Davis to dominate. It's like a lot of ifs, ands, and buts with regards to he can dominate if you put him at the center of the picture, if you put him in positions to succeed on the move, in movement, if the whole entire defense is not on his shoulders to carry that burden. He can be that 28-point score, and he may need to be that guy in this stretch without LeBron James. But again, people so often forget that 
Yeah, back-to-back seasons. Look it up. 2016-17, 2017-18, back-to-back 28-point season averages. And then in the playoffs, he has series where he averaged 30 points, you know, back-to-back. So uh, just your thoughts on how Anthony Davis has looked and just like any encouraging signs that you've seen. I thought he's he's looked fantastic, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think I think your point about the fluidity is is really a good one because you're like you said, even when his stats weren't super flashy on in that Brooklyn game, though he did have the four blocks and steal, like you mentioned, the way he's moving around the court looks different, dude. And and maybe I have amnesia, but I swear to God, he hasn't looked this fluid on the perimeter since the bubble. Um, he, I don't think he looked like this last year. I don't think he looked like this, you know, when he started the season, the start of this season was a little bizarre because I actually thought he looked pretty good, but he was so bulky that something just always felt off. And now that he's sort of slimmed down, it's just crazy that it happened that fast. But now that he's sort of slimmed down a little bit, it, and maybe given the knee, I think also maybe Elf in the room here is he was probably trying to play through this a little bit in December when his stats took yes. like a, you yes. know, if you look at his stats and he was averaging 25 a game in October, he was averaging 24 a game in November, shooting 53%. His stats took a huge dip in December in the five or so games he played before he went down with the injury. And given his mantra this year has been like play through injury, I I completely, you know, would not be surprised if he was feeling this kind of knee soreness and just played through it and then turned he was out playing he had... through like a hip injury too, like even prior to yeah, that. So yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, Multiple yeah. So, ailments. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, but taking that month and a half or so off, um, I think has really done wonders for his body. He looks so much more explosive off the floor. He know, he looks so much more explosive in space on defense, like being able to recover. I mean, I, I'm, it feels like bubble AD just all of a sudden, you know, dropped into our lives. So every day I hold my breath because you don't want him to get hurt because he plays <laughs> yeah. so hard and he and, and you know he competes so hard on both ends. Um, and frankly, I know there's only like 30 games left or whatever, but we're gonna have to run this guy into the ground a little bit if we want to try to make you know make the playoffs. So it kind of is concerning, but. Yeah, in terms of how fluid he has looked on the court, I've been super, super impressed with him on both ends. And, you know, the three-point shot is still not there. I don't know that that's going to come back this season. But the mid-range is like money right now. And his moves around the rim are money. And he has not looked this fluid to me since, since the bubble. Yeah, that quick first step into when he goes baseline and then all of a sudden puts like puts up an up and under layup. You're like, that is a wing player. That's the AD that we sort of had envisioned that made him such a unique unicorn. And this is the AD that, you know, I know a lot of people this season, especially in, have PTSD from last year as well. Um, AD being in a constant state of having to, you know, ramp up and pace himself. I think a lot of people had resigned themselves to the fact that AD isn't that guy to carry the mantle. But if you remember bubble AD, and then you see these flashes of what he's doing now when he's even just, you know, what, 80% right? Like, this is the dude that can take the mantle, especially if you're factoring in both sides of the ball, right? It's just, how do we continue to optimize this guy and not, like you mentioned, run him into the ground? And I think the trade deadline should and hopefully will help with that in terms of giving him some reinforcements, some some bodies who can muck it up down low and not turn his, 
defensive saving possessions into a waste because we couldn't get the rebound, you know? So it's like little things like that that we have to... AD is now doing his part. He did his part when he was recovering from this injury. I'm sure he focused on what he can do mentally to help seamlessly fit back into the team. He did what he could physically, obviously. Now it's our turn to sort of help ease off the burden in terms of he can't be the only one on defense, like shouldering the load in every single aspect, getting the stop, contesting the perimeter shot, going back down into the paint, getting the rebound for himself. And then on the other end, we're expecting him to put up 28, 29. We got to help him out. I don't know if that's going to be through the the, the roster configurations that we make at the tra- trade deadline or philosophies that Frank Vogel implements or playing the right guys, et cetera. But uh, I just hope that we don't, like you said, run him into the ground to end so, this season. Yeah. yeah, and something has to give on this roster in one way or the other. You know what I mean? So like we keep talking about this Nets game, which was his first game back. And although he wasn't putting up you know that many shots, he only had eight attempts, he only made three shots, he only scored like eight points, like he was able to utilize all of his energy, just completely solidifying the defense. And then when you combine that with like a LeBron James, who's engaged and a Russell Westbrook, who can maybe engage for spurts, you know what I mean? And you had Stanley Johnson out there and, in, in, you know, it's pretty, AD can still man an elite defense. I think we've seen that. <clears throat> what we saw in the next two games was AD can still be a super effective offensive player that you could potentially sort of run your team through you know, certainly as one B, if not one A, right? And yep. but the thing is, you can you cannot count on him to do both for and 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 he's just it's not going to work. You know what I mean? We've seen it for years and years and years. It's just not going to work. We can't like have his body give out trying to give all you know of, of that effort on both ends every single night. So the problem what we're having right now is we are playing so many guys around him that are so offensive minded. And we just need to get him some defensive help. And we also need to stop playing Avery Bradley. But that, uh, that, that is a separate discussion. The um, freaking Avery but we Bradley need to, challenge. We need to get this guy some bodies out there who can compete with him on defense. Because I think we're going to need him on offense, you know, so much that we have to figure out the defensive situation. Um, certainly with LeBron being out for who knows how long. And and really just, I mean, we have to be able to compete defensively with our remaining strength of uh, schedule and how, how tough the competition is going to be to to even make the play in, which is mm-hmm. just crazy. I know. I 100% agree with you, and that's what the trade deadline is for. We'll have one other episode, like a penultimate trade deadline episode, leading into next week's probably anticlimactic trade deadline extravaganza. We'll see. Maybe Rob has something up his sleeve. Um, but we'll leave it here for now for this episode. We will catch you guys next time. Uh God help us all in this next stretch that the Lakers have without LeBron James. And uh, yeah, maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle. Who knows? It starts with the Avery Bradley challenge and taking those minutes away from him. But with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Uh, Tommy, I will see you later. Peace. Laters.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.